This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Sky Blues Extra. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Sky Blues Extra podcast, which is kindly sponsored by Shortland Horn, Coventry's leading estate agent. I'm David and I'm joined this evening by Andy. Evening, Dave. Evening, Andy. And I'm also delighted to say that we're joined by a very special guest. Our guest started his career with Derby County and signed for the Sky Blues in 1995 for a fee of 975000 which saw Sean Flynn go the other way. He was made Player of the Year in his debut season and remained with the club for a further five years, scored six goals during that time, including a memorable winner against Tottenham in the 96-97 season. That helped Coventry secure their Premiership status. I'm of course talking about Paul Williams. Evening, Paul, and welcome to the Sky Blues Extra podcast. Evening, guys. Thank you for having me. It's a real honour. Thank you very much. Brilliant, Paul. Thank you ever so much for coming on. And, and with all of our podcasts, we, we generally try to take it back to perhaps where it all started, really. And you were born in Burton. Just tell us a little bit about growing up there and, and what your sort of upbringing was like. Um, so, um, upbringing. So, I was the youngest of eight children. Um, in the family, so I was the youngest, and I used to get all the past iron clothes. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it was it was um, normal, really. Um, used to get chased by the old skinhead up and down um, the high street, but but that was about it. Um, loved football. My dad used to support Leeds, and he used to tell us about the team of Bremner and all those players that we used to have. So, um, yeah, it was it was it was something, and like watching World Cups. I remember remember growing up, me, me obviously, my dad and me and my sister who really loved football too, watching World Cups and you tell me about Pelé and, and Maradona and all those things. So football was drilled into me from an early age. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you get interested into football? But it was, like you say, from a, a family and, and, and watching it all around the, the TV. Yeah, and I, in fact, I had a, um, an older brother um, who's no longer with us, um, Gary. He, he played for a team at St Mary's. And I think I just followed his footsteps. Um, age 10, I played for the under-12s. Um, skinny little run to the footballer and getting kicked about on a Sunday in our yellow kit, but it, it was it was something that I like. I could express myself, and I really enjoyed from from a young age. And um, who did you support? What team as a kid, Paul? I've done lots of interviews, and I've kind of escaped this question. But like <laughs> now, you've said it. So I was at Derby, and yeah. I'm going to get lost stick now. I used to support Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they had a good team back then, Michael. didn't they, Paul? Yeah, team, I love Brian Clough. Brian oh. Clough was, um, you know, he, he was on a lot of um, programmes, you know, um, and he was he was larger than life character. And I just I just talked to him and, and liked 
who he was and what he stood for. And obviously winning um, European Cups back-to-back helps also when, when I was growing up. So that was the kind of team that I supported. Yeah, and um, obviously you mentioned uh, Cluffy there uh, regarding uh, being one of your manage- management heroes. What Can you name a, a hero of yours on the pitch, Paul? Um, I'd go, um, Brian Robson was very prominent. Yeah. Um, John Barnes, obviously, when he was playing. But like for me, and again, growing up with my dad, and, and he used to talk about a three degrees at West Brom. Yeah, I remember, and, yeah. You know, Laurie Cunningham, Cyril Regis and Brendan Batson. Those were kind of people that I, I I could when I got chance to watch, um, I watched and like they they kind of give me the 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 um, foresight that I could actually become a professional footballer. You know, and seeing someone of your own own colour that achieves yeah. something make, gives you that kind of strength to say, "I oh, know what I can actually um, make something of myself." Yeah, I know Dion uh, Dion Dublin mentioned that um, obviously when Cyril passed regarding that's why he got into football, and I think. Obviously, you saying that as well. They were very prominent of getting a lot of uh, black people into football, weren't they, Paul? One hundred percent. I think again. I think in, in any walk, even even to this day, I think um, if you see someone very similar to you achieve achieve certain things, yeah. it, it kind of gives you that that belief that you can actually go on and, and emulate what, whatever they've done. Yeah, those three were very much trailblazers, wasn't they, Paul? Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, and Paul, how did you get into football? We, obviously, we we heard about you playing football with your your brother, and it was at an early age. Was it a, a local team that you joined, and and did you always play as a defender, or was there other oh, positions? Oh. Great question. So, um, I started out obviously at St Mary's. I, I used to play up front. Yeah, and I used to love scoring goals. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you all now. Um, one season, I scored. Um, I think it was under 14s. I scored 48 goals one season. But wow. no, I, yeah. I, I I was. I wouldn't say I was a goal coach or technically really good. I just just happened to be in the right place at the right time and, and score goals. And that was for St Mary's. And then um, I played for Burton Albion under 16. I used to play on a Sunday and I used to play a very similar position or maybe sometimes a bit in midfield. Then obviously okay. in the meantime, I started to be at Derby when I was like 14, 15. And they yeah. used to play me at left back. So I, I it helped me being... Um, watching playing centre forward to knowing how they think and how they want to play. Yeah. Midfielder was something that, that um in terms of work rate and our back in them days it was more more about how much you ran. Yeah. Than I'm, I'm box to box. Yeah. So I learned that yeah, I learned that. And then um obviously um come to Derby a few of the fine arts and technical ability had to, had to come into play to actually um make make yourself a career. Mm. And you mentioned Derby there, Paul, and you've been there. You were, I think, you were there for six years, playing at the baseball ground. Um, tell us a bit about some of the memories you have there, Paul. Um, the f- really, really fond memories. Um, we had a really, really good um, youth team spirit. I remember mm. um, Craig Gramage. He was a superstar, a year older than me. Yeah, and and. I, I kind of looked up to him and, and like even we speak today he's a really really good friend of mine mm. um, so once so I, I, if I tell you about our youth so I, I got in um, complete my started my YTS and I, I so when that was the days you're doing jobs as a, as a scholar yeah so we, we had um, jobs and a lot in painting the stands, stands when we first started mm-hmm. and you don't really understand what, what, why it equates to your footballing career but, but it really does it really translate um Cleaning toilets, I don't mind saying I did, um, gives you humi- humility. Mm. And obviously, it keeps your feet on the floor, all the jobs you have to do. So I, me and Craig Gramage had to, um, we were on the away changing room. We had to clean it. So we so we, we swept it, mopped it, and dusted. Because yeah. obviously, we had Arthur Cox at the time, and he used to hide matchsticks. And we had to <laughs> find them before we could even go home. <laughs> so um, the first three months, I was on jobs with Craig Gramage on the away dressing room. So I'd, I'd, so our coach at the time, Ken Guttridge and Joey Summers, said to me, "If you do your jobs properly, you'll you'll play well and you'll forge yourself a career." Mm-hmm. So um, Craig Gramage used to sit on the medical room, medical bench in the middle of the room, and I used to sweep, mop, and dust. He, he said, he used to, "I remember he could say it now." He says to me, "Because um, you used to call me Jossie in those days, Jossie. If you do them jobs properly, you'll play in and forge yourself a career." So he was just emulating. And he'd sit on the bench reading, reading the newspaper. <laughs> Do you think it was then, to one build day, a hierarchy, Paul? Like, it, it, you know, it keeps, like you say, it kept your feet on the floor and it keeps you pushing, doesn't it? Striving to perhaps 
um, you know, relieve yourself of them jobs, I presume, by getting into the first team. Yeah, them jobs were, but not not in case of Rama. Rama, Craig Ramage was 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 making me do all the work. So um, Roy McFarland, who was our assistant manager, came in one day and says, "Oh, Josh, I've seen you um, sweeping the room now. Why are you mopping? What's he doing?" And Rama, by this time, had sat up and put the paper under 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 the bench. And um, I said, "Roy, Rama said to me, if I do all these jobs, yeah, I'll play well and I'll get into the first team." And that was the last time me and Ram were put together doing jobs. <laughs> because for the first three months, he was sitting reading the newspaper and I was doing all the work. Oh, dear. Uh, and what, and what then, was... And then, sorry. No, go on, Paul. The question was, and then obviously, obviously going into, into um, um, the, playing in the youth team, I wanted to make sure I, I, could, I played many games in the, in the youth team because that was my uh, game. And then once, once you get into the youth team, you have to change your goals. And then it was to get in the reserves. And we had a really, really strong reserve team. Um, Dobby just got up to the Premier League and maybe signed. Um, so Peter Shilton, when I signed my YTS, signed on the same day. We had Mark Wright and a lot, a few more Dean Saunders. All these players were coming. So we had a strong reserve team. Dick Prattley, um, Ross McLaren, um, Steve Cross, Steve McLaren was playing, yeah. Andy Garner, all those people. So we had a strong, and that was my aim, to try yeah. and get a game with all those um, seasoned pros. So, um, fortunately, I'd done well enough in the youth team, and I'd be on the bench, bench for the, um, would be on the bench for the um, reserves. In fact, I'm going to tell you a story about reserves. So, we, I talked, just spoke to you about a strong squad. So, we had Mark Wellington in goal, the old Leicester goalkeeper. Uh, yeah. I remember being, we had to be ball boys. We did at at, at, um, at reserve games behind the goals, throwing the ball back, and I remember him <laughs> shouting me down to the side of his goal, says, Jossie, Jossie, you need to go to the change room and get me a bag. So I'm keen, um, 16-year-old, thinking, oh, no, I'm, I'm helping helping the, um, one of the goalkeepers out at the weekend. So I get myself off, halfway around, around the um, goals, just just near the tunnel, and he shouts, yeah, and make sure you bring me lighter for the fags. He, <laughs> he, he sent me all the way around it, and, and Arthur Cox went mad at me because I, I, I weren't in my place to collect the ball back. But um, going back to the original question is, um, yeah, so I want you to, and then obviously um, getting into, into the reserves. I didn't play many reserve games too because obviously um, I was going to get my chance in the first team. And I remember um, traveling um, to Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace away it was. And um, I got, to, uh, someone got injured. I think Nick, uh, Nick Pickering, I think it was. Yeah, because he'd come on Coventry actually. Nick Pickering was another one. Mm. So um, I got my chance at right wing. Um, for Derby, and we um, and we um, we actually drew the game. I think Mark Wright scored, so that was me um, making my debut and getting me getting on at Derby. Yeah, on the right wing, eh, Paul? Yeah, it's crazy. Like if you look at <laughs> uh, look at my career, like I, I don't think I'm nailed that. Only probably at centre back, actually nailed down a, a position. Yeah. But yeah, getting a chance of right wing was different. But um, I, I did enough, hopefully, to get a shirt the next game. Yeah, and you mentioned Arthur Cox. Um, what was he like as a, as, a, as a manager? He's he's an amazing man. He is. Um, I've had lots of managers in my career, and he was he was like my father figure. Mm. They used to call me the son of Arthur because um, he took a particular interest in me, and um, he would do extra sessions with me, one to one, in terms of um, trying to develop me as, as a um, footballer. And on the other side, he would, he would be very strict and disciplinary with me. So sometimes if he didn't think I worked hard enough in training, he'd make me run back to the training ground, um, sorry, to the stadium. So um, that was like maybe a six-mile run, and he'd make me run back. And sometimes he used to run with me, yeah. just, make, just made me run. And also the best story I've got for him and, and was when I, I um, just got into the first team, and my, I think I was getting too big for my boots, and um, I had my hair cut and I had a, I had a line put in. You know, like mm. all the lads nowadays have a line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only short line, maybe two inches in the line of my hair. And I remember um, getting it done on a Sunday and walking past his office at Rainsway on, um, on, the, on the Monday morning. And he said, Jossie, come here. So I went in his office and he shut the door. And he said, what's that in your hair? I guess oh, it's just a, a line, boss. He says, what's it stand <laughs> for? I says, nothing. He says, um... You know, son, if you want to be different, score 30 goals a season. And then he walks out. And that was it. And, and that, that was the kind of relationship we had. And, and, like, he was fantastic for me. Like, like little things like, 
um, he'd give me a lift home. He lived, he lived um, not far from me, and he used to drop me off at, at my house if I didn't have my car. He, he was a, he's a special man, he, he, but he knew he was honest. But he had that side of him, side of him that he just knew he cared. I remember yeah. um, again running out, running out a contract with a club, and I remember inviting me up after the season finished and said, um, "I went to the baseball game. We're in the corridor, and he says." Um, he said to me, I've got a manager that wants to sign you in, the, in this, in the, in down the boardroom. So there's me striding down thinking it's Alex Ferguson. And it was, um, it was Arthur Cox. And, and from that minute, from that minute, I, like I was putting his hand, I, I, I um, signed for him. He was an amazing man, Arthur Cox. He did, he did wonders for my career. Yeah, that's brilliant. And you made six appearances for England under 21s. Um, tell us what the England setup was like in those days, Paul, and, and some of your teammates. We we were we were a very very strong team. We actually um, won the Toulon tournament, or I'll say Alan Shearer won it by himself. Yeah. To be fair, um, yeah. We were we yeah. Kevin Campbell, um, David Lee, Tommy Johnson, Mark Draper, um, David James, Jason yeah. Dodd. We we had a really strong team, and like that's that's something that that I I kind of cherish really. Um, the caps because it was such a strong team and to, and to get to play games in that in that squad was 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 um an achievement really but like bond made some really really good friends during that time within that squad within within England the 21 squads and obviously um it culminated in us winning the um Toulon tournament which um had it been done for a long time at 21 21's level no that's a fantastic achievement yeah and Paul, you moved to the Sky Blues, of course, in 1995. How did that move come about? How, how did it work, I suppose, in those days as well? And, you know, what was your uh, your first impressions? Um, so, um, and again, I had a bit of a turbulent, not turbulent time ending. Derby was um, in a transitional period and, and Jim Smith had just come. But before Jim had come, I, I decided that, like, obviously I wanted to try and play in the Premier League. And like I had seen um, the likes of Tommy Johnson, Gary Charles, Craig Short, Mark Pembridge, all those players um, go to Premier League teams. And it's something that, that I want you to do. Like, like it's very similar to getting the U team, getting the reserves, getting in the first team. You just want to always test yourself and challenge yourself. And if I played yeah. one season in the Premier League and I weren't good enough, then, then I'd know. Um, so I, I, may, I no, not maybe, I, I went the wrong way about getting a move, in fact. You know, because um, the, the Derby fans have been really, really good to me. Yeah, and, and I should I should have done it the the right way in hindsight, and um, explained to him rather that that was that was a reason why it wasn't against the club. It wasn't the fact that being a local boy that I wanted to, I got too big in the booze. I generally generally uh, made a personal and a, and a selfish um, thing that I just wanted to try and play in the Premier League. So yeah. I had spoken to a couple of clubs, and um, the second Jim Smith said to me that. Um, Ron Axon had come in for me. Then, then I, I went, wanted to go and meet him. So I remember yeah. before I signed, I went to I met him at the Belfry, okay. and obviously, yeah. obviously speak, speaking to him um, after, after a period of time, that was it. I, I um, definitely wanted wanted to um, sign for him. And, and Ron had a, a character and charisma, and yeah. the other two things things that had he had the, um, the skills to make you want to run through brick walls for him. So. Again, I was going from a different manager where Arthur Cox was disciplinary and, and made sure that I had the fundamentals to not not just to be a football, but to be a good man also, yeah, and do the right things. And now, then I was going to um, Ron Atkinson, where he was larger than life um, character and made me laugh, which which was which was also a good thing. And yeah, also, really was, um, yeah. And he was talking about obviously at the time when 1995, it was transitional time, you know. I walked into the dressing room of um, Ali Pickering, Boosty, Dave Rennie, um, Peter Unlove, Lamperty, Isaias. I remember having all those those players in in the squad, and obviously Ron Ron was saying that, that maybe um, he was going to make a few more additions and 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 really make sure that we we could we could be able to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. How excited were you to play in the Premier League? You said that it was a big. Um, obviously a massive dream of yours and, and, and like you say the push pushing that sort of transfer I suppose to reach that that pinnacle and that peak H- how excited were you to test yourself at that level? 
it was it was daunting because like you you never know like um playing in in with derby you kind of get in your comfort zone and it's something that that i was always conscious of that i wanted yeah. to try and try and play in the big and it's even even with with um sport now there's only one league that people really talk about um yeah. nowadays and no disrespect to all the, all the other teams of Ryan's trying to get in the Premier League, but like you look at Sky, the majority of the time it's talking about Premier League, and and I, I, and you can go back to like me under twenty one. So Jason Dodd was playing the Premier League, Alan Shearer, the majority of that team, David James were getting big moves to to Liverpool at a time. All these lads that I was playing against were getting their opportunity, yeah. and and I, I was thinking, no, I want to go and try and pit myself against them. So um, it was it was I was so excited, and obviously like you know, um, I remember um, telling my sister. Um, that all these all these players that you've seen on TV, I'm now playing up against. You know, um, going to my first game against Newcastle and being up against Shearer and and Les Ferdinand yeah. was a daunting task. But like that's that's what excited me. That was my challenge. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. And what did you think when you when you first arrived? Obviously, you just uh, pointed to it that when you first arrived to the Sky Blues of these of the squad that. Big run assembled. Obviously, you mentioned a couple of names there of flair players like Unlove and Isaias and things like that. What did you think of the standard when you were there, Paul? When you got there? Yeah, I, it was it was it was it was good in terms of um, team spirit, and that's something that like hmm. um, you we, you have the baton passed on. I think at Coventry in terms of that, and and they've been custodials of of that team spirit. Um, John Williams, Boosty, yeah. Dave Rennie, Ali Pickering, Jenks, all these people are custodians of, of Coventry City in the Premier League. So um, when John Solarco, I think that was like a marquee sign in terms of getting mm. him to Coventry, and it seemed like we, we were going places and we'd be able to stabilise ourselves within the Premier League because the amount of money that was being spent at the time, it, I think it had to... Had to um, change the squad around to make sure that we stayed stayed in and around um, the league and make sure that it wouldn't be a problem come the end of the season. And talking of relationships and teammates, obviously you played with Richard Shaw, Shoza, for a, a long period um, and you'd built up a superb um, partnership with him. What was, that, what was obviously your relationship like on the pitch and off the pitch with Richard? We were we were inseparable in times on and off the pitch. I remember um, Shawzy coming and just getting to speak to him. We were very very similar in terms of our, our um, previous clubs and where we wanted to go. So with Shawzy, we played the best together, and you can mm. you can look back over over a period of time that I was I was at Coventry, and it was something that Gordon Strachan not wanted to change, but like wanted to get the best out of. Or maybe thought like Liam Dage, Gary Breen, yeah. Mo Konjic, Alex Yusinov. All these players were centre backs who, who were wanted to come and take our positions, and I think it showed that um, me and Shawzy would always come back and, and be playing. And again, it just comes back from that resilience that we had as a young young footballers that we just mm. would do anything to play in the squad. And, and it wasn't consciously that, that I didn't want to play with anyone else. It's just that that we hit it off. And I, if Shawzy made a mistake, then I want to be the one to get him out of trouble and vice versa. Yeah, and we had a really, really, yeah. really, really, really good relationship off the pitch. We used to like go go some tweets after training and sometimes and have the odd night out. It, it was a really, really good, strong bond. But saying yeah. that, though, the whole changing room had a really good relationship with each other. And, and I can talk about having honesty. I could tell Shawzy anything and sometimes tell him things he didn't want to hear, especially on the yeah. pitch. And vice yeah. versa, and, and we just shrugged it off, and that was it because it was coming from a good place with Shawzy. Yeah. Anything he said to me, I knew it wasn't because he was having a bad day at the office and wanted wanted to vent at me. It was something that he genuinely, genuinely believed in, and and it was it was said from his heart rather from his from his head. Yeah, and and you made a massive impact in in, in your first season, and you went on to be the player of the season. Um, what went so well, do you think, in that first season for you, Paul? I just, I just think that that I, I like to, to your early question. I was just excited to be in there, and every single and like this goes through every single game I played for Coventry. It was I had that feeling all the time that um, didn't want to let the fans down, and just just to give me all. And I think the first season epitomised that. We had a really really good dressing room. Um, Kevin Richardson, like an unbelievable bloke, and and 
and and honest. And again, he he had that same relationship where he could tell us what want. Dion, Ogby, yeah. Ryan Burroughs played a major part. David Burroughs played a major part. All these players that um, or maybe Rico and Oggy were at the other end of their careers, but they played a massive part in terms of my development too. Um, and yeah. told me things again, like I said, that they probably didn't want to hear, but like things that I had to do to, to actually um, become a Premier League player because I was still having the chance to prove myself um, at that level. So to win Player of the Year again was a, was a massive boost for me in terms of being able to say that I was a Premier League player. But um, I have to, um, a lot of the teammates take a lot of credit for that. And when you arrived, what did you think of Highfield Road, uh, Paul? I, I, I loved it. The, the baseball ground at night games was, was a special atmosphere, but it's very, very similar to, to Coventry. It was, the fans were right on top of you, and, and they, they were part of, of, of the match day experience for me. Yeah. I think the fans were, were amazing, especially behind, behind the goal at one end, where they were very vocal and, and yeah. they were always trying to G you on. I know we had time towards the end where, where they, they um, detached themselves from, from us, but like, I can say 99% of the time they were behind us and wanting the best best for the team. And it was such a, a, a lovely atmosphere to go into. And, and with the Premier League badge, it just made it even more special for me. Yeah, it was it was some place to play football. And like me, I used to stand behind the goal and watch you and Shozza play and Noel and Hooks and Dion. It was, a, uh, it was an absolute privilege to watch that standard of play in that arena, what playing, like you said, in the Premier League. It was just... An unreal time watching the Sky Blues, uh, Paul. Yeah, it really was. It was. It was. Um, have you got any favourite memories uh, from Highfield Road, like a favourite game that you were, you were featured in? I, I forget that there's got to be quite a few. No, there, there is. And, and like, um, obviously scoring at Newcastle was, was a... Um, oh, that was a personally, hit. Personally, yeah. was, a, was a, a really good... Um, a really good moment for me. But, like, I think the, the real game that sticks out is when we beat Man United and Hawkins... Yeah, hookers yeah. and, and Noel, Noel's yeah. goal. I think that, that, that atmosphere that day, it's like maybe one of the only games that I didn't really want to cough. The pitch, the atmosphere and the fans afterwards was uh, um, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I just think it all came together that day where I think Hookers showed what, what he did and Noel, and Noel showed his true potential that day that, mm-hmm. that you know he scored the goal that he did. And to do it against um, the Premier League champions was, was something special. Yeah, that was a special, special day, Paul. Yeah. And Paul, I'm sure we're going to come on to the memorable goal against Tottenham in a moment. But was there any other? Was there any games that not worst, but ones that were just really, you know, not memorable for the wrong reasons? I guess any anything that was, you know, sticks out in your mind? No, not really. Um, only the personal game was um, probably when I got sent off against Bergkamp, and I can honestly say to you that I never, I, I it must have been a millisecond of, of, of touch, I touched him. Yeah, and obviously getting sent off that day that that, that made me very frustrated that day. Yeah, that was I was there. I was there that time. game, uh, Paul. I, I was. I can I, say honestly, I never, I never, I never touched him. You I didn't never touch him. No, you didn't. No. And um, you were playing really well that game. Yeah, and I remember yeah. it really, really well. And um, we were on top that game. We were absolutely battering them, and uh, yeah. we were, and that decision just got them back into the game. And I know yeah. we got a draw from Dion's penalty in the end, but. We deserved to win that game, and I think if you would have stayed on, stayed on, you, we would have won that game. You were playing fantastic that game, Paul. Thank you, thank you. And now we will come on to so from Arsenal to their their North London rivals, Tottenham. Um, of course, that that goal, which played a huge part in making sure that, as I mentioned in the intro, Coventry ensured that they kept their premiership status. Just talk a little bit about the day, Paul, and, and what it was like going into the match, um, perhaps what the atmosphere was like in the changing room. And, um, you know, looking back at it today, actually, like Dion's celebration in the first goal, it was it was notably quite, quite muted. Um, and I, I suppose also perhaps for yours, but was was that because it was the nature of the game that there was so much at stake? Yeah, so I'll, I'll even go to, to um, the, the build-up to the week. Um, Gordon Strachan done a fantastic job in terms of keep, keeping our feet on the ground and making sure that, that we weren't piling enough pressure on ourselves and it was just yeah. going to be another, another week in the season. And I know they're trying... I remember him saying, don't think of the outcomes, you've got to think of the process. Yeah. So if we all play well on, on, on the Sunday... 
then then it will all go away. But make sure that that's what your focus is and not putting too much pressure on ourselves. So going on to, onto the match stage, like things, things I wouldn't say things were going wrong, but um, I remember kicking off 15 minutes later, and I know it won't happen nowadays, but yeah. kicking off 15 minutes later, and obviously all the games and knowing, and having the last 15 minutes knowing that we, um, if, if Tottenham scored, then we'd be down, was was horrendous for me. It was like um, walking in mud. The time yeah. time was going really, really slow. How did but that filter to, onto the pitch, how, out of interest? Just... No, so, so, obviously, like, um, I think... Um, our fans were very vocal that day, and, and yeah. you, you could you could see from the emotions that, that they were, and they were they were on much of a knife, knife edge like we were. Of but going back and talk and answering your question in terms of celebration, it, it, it was just to keep our focus. Yeah, like, you know the game hadn't finished yet. Yeah, and, and we we could end up with with um with egg on our face in terms of celebrating, jumping around, doing dances. Sure. I think that that would that would actually rout rile Tottenham and make them want to actually because they had nothing to play for yeah and so they, they we could actually get their backups and then try even harder and then have a different outcome but in terms of that we were really really conscious of of making sure that we got the job done before we could we could celebrate about anything obviously Dion being being the player and the person he is scores scores and gets us going from Macca's um free kick and then obviously um scoring a goal that actually again that kept us up was was something that I didn't really um, take much notice of it at the time, but yeah, of course. After the game, we kind of sunk, sunk in, and thought, yeah, well, that's another achievement. No, it was a massive achievement and a great day in, in North London. Um, what was it like playing under Gordon Strachan, Paul? Playing Gordon Strachan was again, and I, I keep saying it, that you might think it's a broken record. I'm fortunate to have Garth Cox, um, Ron X, in the race that I have them run. Like even I used to like we used to go for meals together at his favourite restaurants on on a night time or after games. We used to go to games together on a Saturday. I was a player and he was a manager, which which hadn't been done before. But like I used to go to games with him. So I had the same relationship with um Gordon Strachan. He 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 brought professionalism to, to my career personally and to, to the squad. And not no respect to Ron Atkinson, he didn't. Um the gap for Gordon Strachan's um philosophy was to, to was to bring us forward. So um, he, he had us believing that we were the fittest team in the league. Um, we did lots of running, and we were, we became a reflection of Gordon Strachan in terms of um, we we ran more than anyone else, and we yeah. we, we never wanted to, to give in, never wanted to give in, and that's that's who he was. And on the other side of him, Gordon Strachan would sit in in the office, have, have conversations about many things over over a lot of things, and I, I felt I could personally tell him anything, and he, he was he was really really good for me. Not only because he signed me at Southampton, but the fact that, that like we had a really good relationship, and even to this day, I call Gordon Strachan and we speak on the phone now, um, maybe two or three times a month, and and, and um, discuss football. He's he's a really really good coach, and and more importantly, a really really good man. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, no. Um, and did he let, did Gordon let you run the dressing room? Um, the players, did he let, obviously because there were so many experienced heads in the dressing room, did he just let you run it? Yeah, so early on, um, it was. I think he, he was just trying to um, build build the environment that he wanted to build and then he, he let the players go with it. And But, but don't, make the mistake of thinking that he let us run it. The second we stepped out of line or stepped yeah. over the line, then yeah. he would let us know and on no uncertain terms, again, being honest, not, not being facetious, but being honest and, and come down and, and no one wanted the hair dryer for Gordon Strachan. So we kind yeah. of, we kind of stayed in line, but um, 
he, he created that environment that, that we that the seas mentality a bit of you know everyone wanted to come and beat Coventry and and we we were the underdogs but like you know we'd we'd, we'd throw as many punches as, as teams are th- um, point throwing at us. Yeah, definitely. We've obviously seen Paul as well and heard a lot about, obviously, his his playing ability. But um, he he carried that on so much, even onto the training pitch, didn't he? When um, we've heard so many stories about him just dazzling even on the training pitch. He he was some player as well, wasn't he? Wow. Yeah. Uh, I remember going there and he was 40. And he was the fittest player there. And he he had the best touch. He had the best passing range. He had the best vision. And again, that's something that, that you can't not... Um, take on board and know that's the standard you need to try and get to. So again, without him knowing it, he was, he was a good role model for a lot lot of people within our within our squad. And we, there was a lot of young younger players who, who look at him and think he's still playing at 14 and still one of the fittest player. And again, he had that desire to win every single game and, and playing the same team. He might be on the end of of some of, some of his rafts when when things haven't gone our way. But again, for for him as a person. He, he he had everything for me in terms of all the stuff that people don't really see about him. He did in abundance. Yeah, he doesn't get, not so much for his playing career, he doesn't get the acknowledgement for his management career that he should does, does he, Paul, in my opinion? No, I, my, my opinion is exactly the same. Mm. He he did wonders yeah. at, um, at, at Coventry. And at, and at the time, you know, you get the rumours about the stadium and, and we're spending less money on recruitment. Mm. I think that's what played... And he's been unfortunate on, on two clubs. The same exactly the same happened at um, Southampton, where yeah, where he got yes. us into Europe FA Cup final. And at the times, just we're on the cusp of um, signing two or two or three really really good players, and Rupert Lowe um, didn't give him the money that he deserved. That he that he that he'd given himself a chance to go and do and take us take us to the next level. And been unfortunate not 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 to do it. But while he's on the cusp of of something better, mm. yeah. Um, and talking of quality players how good was snowy Noel Whelan and wow. and do you think he could have got an England call up do you think he deserved one I can honestly say some some days especially in the early days when when Noel came he was unplayable like yeah. we thought three million pounds we've got a bargain here mm. and he he's going to be the one to take us take us to the next level but um with football there's a lot of factors that, that make you an, an all-round football or give you a chance to, to make it at the level of, of maybe an England call-up. And, and Noel will be the first to tell you, he, he, he fell below them, a few of them standards. At, Jimmy got off the pitch, Paul. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think so. And I think um, lifestyle plays a major part in terms of your, your own development, especially as a young lad. And when, when he had a role model in, in Gordon Strachan, I thought if, if, he'd, if he'd listened more often and, and kind of, dedicate himself to to football I think you, you'd, you'd have had England caps and, and I think it'd have been tough to get him out but in terms of um, playing for England I think Noel fell short um, off the pitch a few times in terms of England call-ups Yeah and what, what was he like on the pitch Paul? No he, he was Noel Whelan was um, the nicest lad um, wanted to win um, Leeds fan that he would give you anything Noel yeah. He'd give you everything on the pitch and would, would maybe at times give you everything that, that off the pitch. So he, he, he'd, do, he'd play it 100% on the pitch and go out and, and party 100 miles per hour. Yeah. You just can't do both of those things. They just don't go hand in hand. No. Yeah, a super talented, talented player. And, and, yeah. and of course, another special um, partnership and, and players in, in that era, of course, Dion Dublin and Huckabee, what what was it like to to sort of especially you know from centre back watching that unfold in front of you um, some of the times that they linked up and played? Yeah, well, hookers at first. Well, obviously Dion was established, and Dion was 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 the one that everyone looked up into change room. Obviously, been at Man United and came here, and yeah. the way Dion conducted himself was was again um, a way that people in the dressing want to aspire to. He's he's a great man, Dion. Um, lovely man, give you all the time in the world, speak to you, polite. So Dion had those, and then Hookers came with this raw talent. Yeah. Raw, that, that at times, I don't think he knew what he was going to do with the ball, but he was effective, direct, and can go past people. And um, when when those two started to click, you could see um, Gordon Strachan thinking in terms of what he was seeing. And to be fair, Hookers was, was really, because he was close to us as well. So the meat alpha, Shawzy, 
and Noel were, were like the four lads, the five lads who, who would stick together and, and be around the most and, and have a laugh at times. Yeah. Uh, but Hookers was, again, when those two got together, you talk about unplayable. Dion touching would, would keep hold the ball up for us and, and obviously any ball that came to the box was always a threat. And Hookers would drop into places, maybe that he didn't really know he wanted to pick the ball up and he'd go past two or three people and then the fans would get off the seat and start making noise. Yeah. And Hookers was effective and had a, had a fantastic career after he left um, Coventry. But those two were, were at times, I know in training, was was unplayable. Were, were a really, really good partnership. I don't think they got the credit that they really deserved, but they were a really good partnership. You're listening to Sky Blues Extra. And back to yourself, you joined up with Southampton in 2001 and reunited with Gordon Strachan. Was it pleasing to be playing under him again? We've obviously heard, um, you know, how warm, warm memories you have of him. It was, it was um, again, unfortunate, you know, um, the way I left um, Coventry in terms of, I don't want to sound, be, not, uh, yeah, being forced out in terms of, uh, I think there's a lot of it to do with financial yeah. financial stuff and, and probably forced out um, to and obviously being Gordon Tracker's first first sign at Southampton again so it, it took me back to 1995 where we were starting again in terms of getting a changing room because when, when I got to Southampton speaking to one or two people they had a, um, a drinking culture of Sunday, Sunday nights where players would turn up on Monday morning not in the best shape and I remember right. um, signing for signing on a Thursday um, and obviously, like they didn't take me second, second to to say I was signing for them. And yeah. we played at the weekend. And I remember going in on Monday morning and seeing, if you can imagine, um, four corner flags on each corner of the six yard box. Yeah. So if you picture that, and we would line up on one of them and run in a straight line down to the other end of the pitch. Yeah. This was on our Monday morning. No warm up. This was it. Straight straight into it. Because obviously Gordon Strachan had known that, that there was a drinking culture. Yeah. And we did, we, on our first Monday morning, we did, after a game, we did five, five of those singles down to, down to um, the pole at the other end. And we had to do it in 17 seconds. Then we jogged across and then we had to do the same five again in 15 seconds. Yeah. Jog across and then five again. We had to do it in under 13 seconds. And that, that soon got, after I think two weeks of that, Stop the drinking culture, and we got on things. So Gordon Strachan had in his mind of how he was going to get his team. So again, I spoke about. That's interesting, Paul, because are you saying that he was aware of it, but didn't address it in a not a formal way, but didn't he? He sort of just did, did things to sort of eke that out. He knew that that would work. Is that? Yeah, that's the skills of a manager, isn't it? Isn't yeah, it really? So you, you could hit it head on. You could hit it head on, couldn't you? Yeah, um, reaction. In terms yeah. of yeah, exactly. So, well, I'm not. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. But like, it's okay. You can do what you want to. But if you can, if you can do it as well as um, the run like you can, then yeah. then then you're okay. But like, we I remember first we we had people pulling up or people being sick on yeah. on the first two weeks. But but again, it's either it's either one way or the other. You can either either conform or you, or you can. I'd say you can get on the bus, you can get off it. Yeah. And we all decided to get on it. And um, I think the, the space of time that we had at Southampton, we got on the track and taking us from where we were to um, being in Europe in a cup final. I think, again, we spoke about earlier, was a great achievement in the, in the, in the time he had. And we didn't have superstars. Yeah. In fact, you talk about Dion, Dion um, developing into England player. He did the same with Beats. Yeah. James beating, yes, made his game a lot, lot better, and obviously um, James getting England caps and scoring the amount of goals that he did was amazing. And, and also, yeah. I don't think Strats gets enough um, credit for managing uh, Matt Latizze is a legend at, at the club, and you know he's coming to the end of his career, but trying to phase him out without, without um, backlash from the fans, hundred percent. Yeah. So again, that's something that he did, but he created a, a really, really good team: um, Fabrice Fernandez, Chris Marsden. Um, Brett Armourud he brought from Blackpool which is a yes. great story again for any, any young player um, I remember um, asking why he bought Brett and he said he went to went to a game with Leslie at Northampton and Blackpool were playing and he didn't go for any reason just went to get out of the house and watch a game Yeah, and Brett and Brett had gone, gone and played it for Blackpool and ran around everywhere didn't score goals but he ran around and showed the right attitude Yeah, and then the second that he gets in um something that Gordon Strachan tells a lot of long lads, he just never knows watching you. 
And yeah. fortunately for Brett, Gordon was was there and signed him. And he, he was he he was a hit within the team at um, Southampton. And again, meeting, um, getting back in with Dodsey, which, which is a good a good thing too. You know, meeting meeting back in because I knew him from the twenty ones. We had again a very very similar um, environment to be the other Coventry. So I'm just going to nip back to Coventry in terms of um, our team spirit. So when I first got there, and they've nothing to do with the lads, it was just that we were all all didn't really know each other. Training would start at half past ten, and I'd get in about quarter to ten, um, get, get changed, and would go out and train. By time in 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 the height height of it, we'd be in at nine o'clock. We'd be in for nine o'clock. All the lads were having banter and having the crack and messes about and going to the yeah. gym. That that was the kind of environment that Gordon Gordon. Um, managed to make and also like we had, had the likes of Kitman Andy Arby who was who was a great a really really nice chap and he was part of part of the relationship with all, all we just were one big family that, that wanted to achieve things for Comedy City but make sure we enjoyed it along the way yeah. and that's what the environment Gordon Gordon set yeah and talking of larger than life characters what was Carlton Palmer like Paul uh, no you don't <laughs> call him his name's the pigeon he used to call himself <laughs> a second person the pigeon <laughs> um, after the sea pigeon, the horse, because he, he he said he was a racehorse. He was he was a character, Carlton. But um, and uh, and a, a lot of people said this that you'd rather have him on your team than against him. Yeah, Carlton, he could he could wind people up in terms of opposition. But he, he was he was a really valuable member of the team. He, he was a he was a, a, good, a good his heart was in the right place. You could say. Um, sometimes he'd make mistakes, but and say the wrong things, but. It wasn't that he was he was he was being facetious. I think he, that was just him. Yeah, his his banter is a different level, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, even now, I think I think um, <laughs> people tell me keep telling me about what what he's like on Twitter, and, and Carlton, Carlton yeah. hasn't changed. He's 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 full of life, Carlton. Sure. But saying that, we had we had we had some good good like George Botan deserves a mention. Guy McAllister, mm, Roland Nelson, all oh. these players that we had in the squad at Coventry was was fantastic and really good role models um Roland Nielsen wow yeah what a player what a player what a player and that goes back to my point earlier when you know when I was discussing the the, the players and the privilege of watching all you players are playing at Highfield Road in the Premier League the standard of players like you said Nielsen McAllister Botang you know Huckabee Dublin you know, it just rolls and, and off the what? tongue, doesn't it? Without a doubt, and and and, and the, I just I trying to stop you all the way through there. What about the Moroccans? Yeah, yeah. How do you, you, you forget? Wow. Don't you? There's wow. so many wow. you do. Those two, Kino. when they came. Yeah, there you go. Stop it. Yeah, all stop. those players, unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. And like, there's not many people can say that um, they went from commentary to um, into Milan. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like he was, a, he was a special player, Robbie King. Special player. He was doing things that I'd never, never thought he could do with the football or, or the goals that he could score or he could vo- score volleys like he did. He was a, a special talent and, and went on to to fulfil his career. Paul, yeah, an special. interesting one would be also, you know, um, Oggy because he had such a, a long career, obviously at, at Coventry. What, what do you think? Um, you know, helped him have that such a, a long career. I mean, he was obviously a phenomenal keeper, but he would have been up against a lot of, um, you know, a lot of pressure, I suppose, and, and people uh, trying to take his spot. How, how how do you think he kept that for so you know long? Just give us a bit of an insight to him as a, a man in the changing room. Augie's uh, a, a, speci- a special man. He is honest in truth. And I like, when I see him, we give each other a big hug. And I... I, I Got fond memories of Hoggy. One of the memories. So I, I signed and got into Coventry. Hoggy was sitting, standing outside the outside where we ate, having a fag. That was the first, <laughs> the first date. And then obviously, like Gordon Stratton came and and the running that Hoggy was doing, he, he had to give them up. But um, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. Not many words you can say about Hoggy, but for mm-hmm. someone to to play at the level he did for for the amount of time he did, and and he wasn't Hoggy wasn't getting old in terms of. He was. He made outstanding saves. He was brave as a lion. Yeah. Remember, Ian getting in the clash with Ian Wright. Mm. Um, he'd be forty odd, Oggy, and he was brave. But like, what speaks volumes to me is that Oggy nurtured Chris Kirkland to take his place. And I don't yeah. think there's many many people in in any walk of life would would do that. Um, navigate um, the journey of your understudy to to this extent that that he actually takes his place. And then Subcontin goes on to goes on to play for Liverpool. 
that that takes a special person and and Oggy was that there's not many words can say about Oggy and talking about um after you've obviously hung your boots up Paul so what have you been doing since your retirement um so I went into coaching mm. um no I, I yeah I went into coaching so I gave up one day and retirement for me was and again, there's some, I'm going to mention someone that we haven't even mentioned again. I went into t- retirement and that hit me quite hard um, in terms of you have a sense of belonging for, for 19 mm. years. Yeah. And then one day you wake up and like, because the last thing I used to say after the game was, oh, where are we, where are we Monday? And like, yeah. oh, um, in managers or coaches say, oh, well, we're at the training ground at one o'clock. Oh, you're off on Monday, you're in on Tuesday. And I always knew where to go. Yeah. But then, then you get up Monday morning, you've got you've got no belonging, like no mm. badge on your on your chest anymore. You've got no belonging to anything and you you've got no direction. Mm. So um And the camaraderie of a dressing room as well, Paul, isn't it? 100%, 100%. That's, that's so much. I don't I, I mean at any any level I think people when they sort of finally give up they they miss that because it's just it's just a great banter, isn't it? And the change room is a, is a very different place to anywhere else. One hundred percent. I don't. I don't. It's not just professional football. I think the lads who play on a Sunday league would yeah, miss it exactly. the second mm. they, they they retire. So again, um, I was fortunate to be in the Midlands at the time, and like I'd always always stepped into kept in touch with Steve Froggett, always, yeah. and along with my wife and and Froggy, he, he got Froggy got me through that in terms of that, and I, like we, we obviously still speak now, and, and I, I hold him very dear because obviously he's had he's had a troubling times. Yeah. himself losing his dad and obviously recently losing his mum yeah but he, he 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 was a strong strength for me froggy was and, and like would give me give me focus so then i decided um to go to wolves do my coaching badges there so i fortunate to get a job at wolves and then i moved to southampton obviously i i still uh, had accommodation down here so we moved to southampton and um fortunate enough to get a job within the academy so I was coaching the under 12s for a while, and then got um, pushed up to um, the, under, the under 18s with Jason Dodd. And again, our first season where we had a few players um, come through, and then ultimately the second season where we had the likes of Luke Shaw, Alex Chain, Alex Oxley Chamberlain, um, James Ward-Prowse. It was it was a really really good time for us in terms of having a new mm-hmm. team. And then again, I've been fortunate again with Maurizio Potticino coming in and. and Taking so many lads, I learned so much of him. Studying him for three years, understanding what football and coaching was really about um, in terms of tactics, but more of a lot of what Gordon Strachan is creating the right environment and an honest yeah. environment where players take ownership. Players take ownership, but they have accountability too, because every action has a reaction. And so, um, yeah, fortunate that Maurizio was picking these players, and within our under 18s team, we had. Maybe over a three-year period, maybe twenty players playing league football now. And in one season, we had twelve debuts. The Maritzio thought we were good enough to play in the team. So again, that that was um, an accolade for the club. And obviously, when when those players were sold, there was over a hundred millions worth of talent was sold. And obviously, James is still there as captain. So that that was um, a really really le- good learning curve for me. And obviously got sacked from there, having the academy and Les Reed saying they wanted to go in a different direction. Um, went to Brentford, and obviously mm. um, Lee Carsey, when I didn't mention at Derby, we'd always been in touch and, and been really good friends. He he brought me as his assistant, and again, because um, every club I've been at and every every things, every, there's always something to learn. So Brentford was it was structure and having a way of playing and understanding that. Um, Every session had to be aligned to the way you want to play, and obviously, like understanding their recruitment process was was a great learning curve for me. Yeah. And obviously, um, hitting the ground running there as 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 um, assistant manager, uh, Carzo got named um, manager of the month after our second month there. So that's another accolade that that um, that helped us and helped me in terms of my development. So Carzo didn't didn't want to take the job, so we left there. Um, and we and I went to Forest then, coaching in the championship, assistant manager to Dougie Freeman. Um, Dougie Freeman got the sack, so I took over the club for the last four months. And managing the team that I supported was yeah um, a yeah. really good moment for me. I was going to ask about uh, this because it was um, yeah 
do carry on. It was, and I did less interviews that week because I didn't want anything coming out in terms of that because, like, obviously Derby was, was gave me the chance to actually play football. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, the second fixture is against Derby away. <laughs> so, in a local Derby. So, again, it, it was ama- like the atmosphere then. It was amazing times at Pride Park in terms of that game. I know we lost 1-0, but it was, it was a proud moment for me, actually. You know, you walk into the boardroom at Nottingham and there's two European Cups. There's not many people that, that have worked for a club that, that have done that. Yeah. So, again... So then in the meantime, I was doing, um, I keep saying this word fortunate, and I am. So every time between Forest, um, assistant manager, I was going away with the international team with England. Yeah. So um, early Brentford times, I was going with the under-16s with okay. England. We won a tournament in, in um, America. We played Brazil, Holland, and the USA, and we managed to win it. I was um, assistant coach to Dan Machichi. Um, we... The likes of Jaden Sancho, Phil Foden, all that year, talented, talented squad who went on to win, the, maybe six months later, went on to win the World Cup. Um, yeah. So again, the fortune working with those players and having one-to-ones with those and talking to them, again, gave me another good learning. So when I left Forest, I then went to the FA full-time, went to England. I worked with A.D. Boothward, assistant under-20s coach. Yeah. Again, fortunate Tammy Abrams, um, Lewis Cook, Dean Henderson, there's Lowe's, Josh Onimut, Ainsley, Maitland Miles, all these players of talented squad that, that they had. Um, working with us again, learning learning how to how to manage those players because mm. technically they didn't need much work, but they needed managing in terms of trying to keep their focus and that yeah. was another good learning curve. And remember Sam Allardyce getting into a bit of trouble as England manager. Yeah, unfortunately. So he, he, Gareth took his place, AD took the 21s, and, and I was again fortunate that they asked, Dan Ashworth asked me to take over that squad. And again, another proud, proud moment in terms of representing your country and being a head coach. Yeah. Yeah. At that time. But I, I during my time as, as um, the under, under 20s coach, we were just, we, I, I just finished coming back from a tournament, a pre tournament. World Cup tournament in terms of in, in South Korea and um, we finished runners up in that tournament and I got off the plane so I was I, did, I was going to probably take the team I didn't know if I was definitely taking the team in the World Cup maybe eight months later and I got off the plane from this pre-tournament and I had a phone call from Swansea asking me to be their assistant manager in the Premier League and again it took a lot of soul searching in terms of how many times does the Premier League offer come up mm. and how many times you get to coach in the World Cup and, and for me I took I took the chance to work in the Premier League, and again it was fan, a fantastic experience in terms of um, you go into the change room. You've got Gilvy Sigurds and Angel Rangel, and you've got um, Lorente Fernando Lorente, who, who um, obviously won the World Cup and, and the Euros with Spain. And it was a real challenge, not 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 to um, coach him, but to get to know him and, and get them get them working the way that you you thought was was best. And again, a lot of the stuff I, I learned from Maurizio Pochettino. So um, it, it was it was a fantastic time. I know it didn't last very long because I think it was about eight months with Bob Bradley, but it, it, it was a fantastic time and, and something that I don't really regret in terms of getting a chance to coach mm-hmm. in the Premier League that, that a lot of people don't don't really get the chance to. So that was my, my coaching career since retirement. But lately, since I've, I've left one or two clubs since then, um, I've we we me alongside with um, ten other ex Premier League players, we've set a business up where we want to try and put back. And Phoenix Sports Management Group is is about helping the next generation, also helping um, former players. So okay. we're trying to trying to get an holistic approach in terms of um, nutrition, mental health, well being, yeah, um, finance. So like last week, I did a did a a webinar with um, Liverpool's alumni talking about how to manage your money and don't try and make the same mistakes that we've seen people make or we've made when when we were playing. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. It's me and time. Of course, I've got aspirations to go back to some coaching, but while while I'm I'm here, I might as well try and try and um, educate myself and also help help others. So in terms of education, um, I'm doing starting my masters hopefully next month. I've got a uh, um, counselling qualification. I've got um, 
and a very topical equality and diversity qualification where I, I'm now able to um, go into clubs and talk to them, not mm. not necessarily talk to players, but talk to staff about equality and diversity. Yeah. And no, it's some, it's quite prevalent in, in, in football this minute in time, how people's yeah. understanding of it is is different. And for me, it's just telling telling a story that I've had and, and not, not ram it down people's throat, but try and get them an understanding that... that accepting difference is, is, is a strength rather than a weakness. Yeah. So um, from day to day, it's about trying to educate people and trying to, trying to help, um, especially the young ones, not making the same mistakes that, that um, you've seen. Because like I think for me, and I hope he won't mind me saying, I know he wouldn't, that, that some of the state mistakes that Noel probably made, the things that I can, I can actually tell people that yeah. you know, it, just, it just doesn't work out that way yeah. for you and, and also and even also, more so nowadays isn't it because of even more perhaps money and and, and that involved and I, th- I think you football's a lot lot different isn't it like you said you had your jobs to do and your cleaning and your boots and stuff from uh you know and scrubbing the floors it, it's a little bit different now isn't it and it's probably yeah, more glamorized i suppose of, and they're not, not getting that experience anymore they're not getting that experience of, of mm. humility no and, and it's not it's not the player's fault they're just not getting no. that experience now and, and obviously um, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of peer pressure in within football now. Not only from your teammates, but from social media. You know, yeah. if, if you say you're a footballer, you've got to have a top of the range car. You've got to have the best Louis Vuitton yeah. bag. You've got to have the best yeah. phone. And yeah. some of these lads can't can't afford it, but get get caught up in it, which is which is understandable. And and, and to fit in, they're the things that, that people want to see see footballers. It's not only like the big Premier League players, but like it's, it's, it's the players that are playing League 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 One and League Two who are expected to have this perception about them of, of being superstars yeah. and driving the best car. So again, um, we've got a hands full in terms of trying to get it out there and make sure, again, that football, foot, these, these lads don't make the same mistakes. And also within football, with, it, with all major sports, you know, there's 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 fraud, there's deception, there's people out there want, wanting to to make money off of yeah, these players. Of and hopefully, yeah. with um, PSM's mentorship program, we we can we can help people stay away from all those things and put in place um, longevity in terms of life skills for these players, not to make make mistakes. No, it sounds a, a wonderful project, Paul. Sounds really interesting. Um, do you still look out for the results of your your old clubs, Paul? Yeah, one hundred percent. I do. Um, I, I, Coventry and Derby and Southampton, fond, fond memories and all the, all those clubs. Um, even Stoke, I look I look out for. I just want them all to do well. And and, and within Coventry, there's that special bit of me. We spoke about Harfield Road, and not even playing at, at the stadium that that we own. Yeah. And the demise of the club over the years has been been heartbreaking. Not just for me who played there, but for for many many fans having to travel to Northampton to watch their team and now travel to um, Birmingham's ground to watch their fans. It, it's it's a bit it's a bit no, it just needs a nasty taste in my eyes in terms of where Coventry are right now. But um, Mark Robbins has done a fantastic job. He has he's done a, he's done a really really good um, him and ADV bash. I've watched from afar how he's cultivated that team and, and made them where they are are today, and hopefully. This can be the catalyst of, of a building, a con, consolidating season, and hopefully, you no, know, because they can start gradually climbing the table and getting back into the Premier League, because that that would be some achievement for the club. Yeah, yeah, Mark Robbins, yeah, he has, he's, you know, he's done a fantastic job. Do you think the Premier League is is something that um, you know a club like Coventry can can achieve? Um, it's such a gulf, isn't it, now in in um, terms of finances, but like you say, consolidate this year and and continue to build um, the style of football that Mark Robbins plays. Obviously, suits that of the Championship possibly more than some of the lower um, levels. But do you think Coventry could get back to the Premier League one day? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it, um, with all, you should have aspirations to do so. You know, if you reach for for um, for the stars, you might just meet orbit, and and that might yeah. be enough. So I I think that. Um, why not? Why not um, have the chance and aspirations to, to go in the Premier League and get back in there? But again, d- don't don't put the club at risk in terms yeah. of getting there. I, th- I think again, it, it's building blocks, and if you've got a, a three four year plan to get yourselves there, then I think you should be patient in terms of getting there. But w- what I've seen over the last um, couple of seasons is that they're, in the, they're heading in the right direction, and they've got a really good manager at the helm, 
that can can I, I certainly think we can get there with with few additions and a bit of time. Yeah, exactly. And we've heard from you about, you know, your previous managers, Gordon Strachan, and what they did for the dressing room. And it, it seems that Mark's doing the same. They seem to have a really, really, you know, great confidence about them. Yeah, well, um, I think it's a recipe for, for success in terms of, of, of setting your goals, what, what you think is success. We were never set out to go and win the Premier League. But yeah. our success was was trying to trying to get into get into halfway and to break break the top ten. So again, um I think that, that Mark Robbins again I'd say done a really, really good job and, and if I think if the if the club give him enough time and and, and step give him steps to get to get to, I think there's a there's a chance of getting to the promised land. Yeah. Paul, it's been absolutely amazing uh, to listen to your story this evening. And on behalf of obviously all of the Coventry fans and the Sky Blues Extra followers, we thank you for your commitment while you wore the Sky Blues shirt. No, thank you very much. It is, it is. I, I love talking about the days of Coventry. They were, they were fantastic. And now I'm not going to sleep now because I'll, I'll be thinking about all these players I've not mentioned. <laughs> like Reggie, you know, we've, we've, we've had them all. We've had them all at Coventry. Some, some really talented players. Thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it. And I hope, hope the comedy fans will be singing back at um, the Rico or our own stadium some, sometime soon. Yeah, brilliant. And listeners, don't forget to tune into our other podcast with former Sky Blue favourites. And as usual, if you want to join in with the conversation, you can on any of our social media channels. You just need to use the hashtag Sky Blues Extra podcast. Thanks for listening to the Sky Blues Extra podcast. days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is that's as good as it gets on this stage nissan townstar ev strikes again it's an unstoppable van unstoppable Look, just fantastic you can actually see the pro pilot technology in action effortless parallel parking it moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty and with a bench full of all-star van experts there's real strength in depth here that's all-star quality search nissan townstar ev and visit your local all-star van center to see for yourself Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.